Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry. Hence why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. And each week we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 36, we sit down with Bob Johnson, who is the Senior Vice President with Hannon Armstrong. Really interesting conversation here with Bob, learning about his background and the impact that he's made throughout his career. He really does provide some insightful perspectives on the current state of the energy industry and, and of course, where he sees the future of the industry heading. And you'll want to stick around until the end to hear about Bob's daily non-negotiables. I was pretty impressed by his discipline when it comes to his diet and his daily routine. Really good stuff there. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode and future episodes. This really is the only way that we can track how many people are listening. So if you're one of those people who are streaming the episodes, I urge you to consider hitting that download button instead. And if you're enjoying this episode as well as other episodes, I encourage you to share them and leave a five-star review on our page. It really does help us out. Now, we think you're really going to enjoy this conversation between Bob and I. So let's drop in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Bob Johnson, who is the Senior Vice President with Hannon Armstrong. Bob, welcome to the show. Jim, always a pleasure. Happy to be on the show here with you. Yeah, I'm glad we uh, I'm glad we made this one happen. So I know you've been in the the industry for for quite some time. A lot of people listening, a lot of our audience uh, are probably going to know who you are. But for the audience members out there who don't know Bob Johnson, could you tell us a little bit about your background, maybe where you grew up, and how you got started in the industry? Absolutely. Uh, first, I want to congratulate you on your new appointment with uh, Nenny Associates. Uh, being managing partner is a great thing. Uh, I have known Michael and you and the team for a long time, and you've done some really nice work for the industry. So first of all, I want to express my appreciation for everything that you guys have done um, and the many things that you've done, not only for me and my teams, but also for the industry. So thank you. We're doing our best. The, you you are and keep it up. Now you've got a bigger role. So uh, right. <laughs> you've got more responsibility, Joe. And a podcast host. I mean, come on. I, you know, what could be better, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, my background is, is rather interesting. Uh, I am one of the few probably of uh, native Washingtonians here. So I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. in uh, Prince George's County. Um, it was at the intersection of a, a horse farm and tobacco farm. So I worked on both in my youth. I can still remember painting fences at the uh, horse farm and picking tobacco and hanging it in the barns on the uh, tobacco farm. So uh, it was actually a pretty interesting life and gave you a fairly humble beginning to, uh, to things uh, from that perspective. Uh, from there, I went to the University of Maryland. I can recall my first year of college, we had a big game with Alabama. I had never seen so many people in one place as I did at, uh, at the, the University of Maryland football game uh, that year. So it was a new experience for me coming up out of the country there. Uh, my first you know, real career job after graduating from, uh, from my University of Maryland was with Honeywell. And back in the day in the 80s, we were, um, it was deregulation of the telephone industry. And Honeywell had gotten big into telecommunications, and I ended up being national sales manager of the uh, telecommunications group um, nationwide. And we had bought 22 contractors. We had uh, a series of sales reps and had done some really interesting things. I uh, ended up moving to Minneapolis, living there for four years, and 
working out of um, Honeywell's Plaza West uh, in downtown Minneapolis. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting too, when you work in a, in a place like Minneapolis with a name like Bob Johnson, Jim, we actually had another Bob Johnson that worked on the same floor in Plaza West. So uh, he was in accounting and I was in um, you know management and it was very interesting having two people that close with exactly the same name. Um, I was recruited out of Honeywell back when in the day when they had the um, uh, Vision 2000 process and some of the folks were leaving Honeywell and John Mahoney left uh, Honeywell to go on to Byron Energy Services, as you know, and John recruited me over to Byron and I spent a couple of years there with he and the team building a, a group here in the, uh, the Mid-Atlantic area and I had a great time with, uh, with John. Um, from there, I got recruited over to JCI. JCI saw, I guess, some of the things that we had been doing in Byron and ended up recruiting me over there. Um, and, and within JCI, I started out as an area sales manager, but I ended up being the uh, sales leader for the, uh, for the federal business globally. So it, we had a really good run there, great teams. I still have a lot of people that I uh, stay in touch with uh, there at both Honeywell and uh, JCI. I guess I got noticed to sound like a NFL football coach in some respects. And, uh, and recruited, man, to recruiting top talent. Uh, exactly. So I got recruited by Train. And uh, Train, um, I came in to run the federal business, but um, I ended up being the uh, North American sales leader for government, healthcare, and education. So I had a pretty big uh, job there. Um, we had great teams, still stay in touch with a lot of people there at, uh, at Train. Um, have a lot of respect for all three of the businesses that I ended up uh, working for. And, and you know, if, and this is one of the things we'll talk about a little bit later, but you know, in each of those cases, we built teams and we built lasting teams. People are still there doing the job. And I feel very proud about that. And I feel very good about them personally, as well as for the business that, that uh, was left behind in each of these cases. Yeah, I do want to unpack that later. I'll, I'll be really interested to hear more about that. But yeah, keep keep going. Yeah, sure. And uh, I had a brief stint at Cypress. We were owned by Cypress Semiconductor. Um, uh, still have an interest in that business. And then, um, you know, came along with Hannah Armstrong. I guess I was recruited into, into the business by Jeff Eckel, our CEO. Surprisingly enough, I had been a customer of Hannah Armstrong's in my time at JCI and Train. So I knew a lot of the people there. Uh, they knew me. So it seemed like a natural fit to bring me on and uh, have me come over to Hannah Armstrong. And I've been at Hannon since uh, June of 2013, so almost eight years now at Hannon. Got it, okay. Um, so that's kind of my history and, and where I've been from a, from a career standpoint. Okay, and, and just in case anybody's been uh, living underneath a rock in the industry, tell us about Hannon Armstrong and how you guys are going to market and the types of clients that you work with. Um, sure, I, Hannon Armstrong, you know, we're, we're a 40-year-old company. And we went public back in um, April of 2013. So we are now a publicly traded company. Um, we're well positioned in the marketplace. We've grown a lot over the past uh, you know, 40 years, but in particular, since we went public. Uh, to give you an idea of the um, size of our company from a scale standpoint, Jim, we have um, approximately $6 billion of assets under management, um, over $2 billion of assets on our balance sheet. We go to market in three different um, areas. One is what we call behind the meter. So almost everything that a ESCO would do, an energy services company would do, would be considered behind the meter from uh, demand side services, even supply uh, systems, for example, um, combined heat and power, solar, battery storage, and the like. The second area is under grid connected, where we do a significant amount of work on grid connected work, both in the wind and the solar uh, business. And then finally, we have sustainable infrastructure, which includes MS4, which is Municipal Separate Storm Sewer Systems, um, stream mitigation uh, 
preventing phosphorus and nitrogen, for example, Jim, of getting into the, the bay, uh, in the Chesapeake Bay, which is EPA Region 3. So there's a number of different things we do in each of these sectors that are fairly unique. One thing that sets us apart, however, in all these different things is the fact that we're the first publicly traded company that's solely dedicated to investments in climate change solutions. So we have a pretty unique place in the market. And I think we were a, a innovator here in that regard. And now there are others that are coming into the market thinking that this, the same thing might be true for them. They want to get involved with the uh, carbon reduction, the sustainability world. Uh, well, we've been there for a long, long time now. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned climate change, and I feel like I I gotta ask you, know, especially under the new administration. I mean, do you guys see any specific new initiatives, or do you expect a uh, a bump in projects just based on the the new office coming into play? We are cautiously optimistic, I'll call it. And um, with the what has been the blue wave now, with the both the House and the Senate being um, Democratic and a Democratic um, uh, president. We have the opportunity to do some interesting things that may not have been there uh, previously. Reinvigorating infrastructure potentially through the old um, era bonds, the uh, Build America bonds, and rejuvenating that process, I think would help the industry. It would help uh, a lot of things. We also see one other thing, and you saw this in the stimulus package where there was $82 billion that was um, set aside for um, education. And it was a variety of um, uh, pieces of legislation within it that were for higher ed, for K through 12, for example, and it ha happened to deal to a large degree with even indoor air quality. So indoor air quality is going to be another area that we think is gonna be rather interesting, both from a um, ESCO standpoint or OEM standpoint in terms of the, putting the systems in place to mitigate the, um, the issues of air quality, but also potentially from a financing standpoint, what does that mean for us as an opportunity from a financing standpoint? These are yet to be answered at this point. They're simply questions, and we're we're looking at them now as to how do we uh, uh, best address these, both as Hannah Armstrong, but also as importantly as the industry. I sit on the board, for example, of NASCO and, and the Executive Advisory Council, and I'm on the board for um, uh, the Alliance Save Energy. And I think in all cases, the industry itself, both from the uh, new uh, Clean Power Association, but also from the behind the meter energy efficiency NGOs we're all pushing in the same direction to try to get more for the industry and, and move this ball forward. And the division that you're focused on here within Hannon and the clients that you're working with, I mean, what do you guys typically look for? I assume you're, you're not financing every single project that's out there. I assume you got some, some pretty tight criteria that you try to stay within and, and got a specific lane that you're running in. So what does an ideal project look like for you and your team? Well, that's, that's interesting because, um, we have been at this a long time, Jim, and we've um, done over 500 projects. So we have a pretty big portfolio of um, projects in the past to draw off of. Um, I'll say that, and this is our disclosure statements as well, our average project size, surprisingly enough, is $11 million. Okay. So we'll take small projects. We'll take really big projects. So to give you some examples um, of projects that, you know, in the fairly recent past, um, we were fortunate enough to put um, preferred equity uh, in the form of $115 million uh, alongside NG and Meridium on the University of Iowa concession agreement. Uh, a very, very big um, project, had a lot of um, uh, good aspects to it. It's, it's a 50 year project. So that's an example of one that we would like to do more of. Um, uh, we also recently announced a uh, project with Clearway Energy 
And uh, that was a 1.6 gigawatt um, project for wind and solar across the nation, where again, we put an equity investment in alongside uh, Clearway. And uh, we're very fortunate and proud of that, um, that type of opportunity. Another you know, example for, that I'd like to point out here is um, we did a large microgrid project a few years ago with uh, Amoresco at uh, Paris Island. And that's a great example of taking a microgrid and saying, yes, we can pay for the entire microgrid uh, through savings, through lighting and uh, water efficiency savings in particular. It was approximately a $90 million project, um, three and a half uh, megawatt combined heating power. It had a seven megawatt solar array and eight megawatt hour battery, Tesla battery wall. Very innovative project, works great. We, we love more of that. On the smaller side, to give you an idea, um, we had recently announced a, an agreement with GridPoint for an energy as a service type of a, a agreement flow. And uh, GridPoint does a lot of demand side uh, management for customers. And that's an example of where we can get smaller and lower and, and very competitive with a customer, in this case, GridPoint, that's uh, very well positioned in the marketplace for what they do. Then uh, the last, I pointed out Pace. We've, we've done over the past um, couple of years, $250 million worth of Pace business. We recently closed one that's uh, Property Assessed Clean Energy is the PACE acronym, uh, a $14 million project in uh, Poway, California, mixed-use uh, residential uh, retail uh, location. So we've had it across the spectrum, different types of projects, different customer sets. One thing that is a constant here in what we do, Jim, that we do these on a programmatic basis with uh, well-qualified, well-positioned industry leaders uh, in the marketplace. So that's our go-to-market strategy in it, to a large degree is to do a programmatic uh, process with any one of a number of customers. All of the big players in the, in the industry we've had a relationship with and we've done multiple projects with. And that becomes very efficient, both from their standpoint as well as our standpoint and for the customers, because we know exactly what we're talking about in front of the customer. The value proposition is solid between the two organizations and it's, it's very easy to get those projects uh, transacted as a result. It also leads you to what can be different opportunities within the marketplace, uh, Jim. So when you gain a relationship, for example, on federal, it can lead you to other relationships on CNI and other and solar and, and other potential relationships here with these customers. So it's, it's very bit beneficial for our, our team. Yeah, diverse set of uh, what I'm hearing there, diverse set of projects and, and way that you guys are, are financing them. So I, I wanted to just uh, zoom out here for a second. And, and Bob, as you... Um, look into your crystal ball and, and look out into the future, five, 10, 15 years. You mentioned the, the big deal with, with University of Iowa. You mentioned Pace Project. You mentioned a handful of other, uh, the Smart Grid one. I mean, super interesting stuff. I mean, where do you see the industry heading in any one of those channels? Like one being more robust than the other? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I, I certainly don't have a crystal ball. Um, uh, I, I I wish I did. In a lot of ways, I would have bought a lot more Microsoft way back in the day. Uh, <laughs> or but, Amazon, right? I, that was the other one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you couldn't have bought enough uh, looking in hindsight. Um, you know, one thing that I, I'm seeing is that projects are getting more complex. So the days of just doing a lighting project are not sunsetting, but they're fading a bit, where the customers are seeing that it's much more beneficial to do a, a more comprehensive project and bring in not only all the energy efficiency measures, in other words, having energy savings pay for the cost, but also bringing in more items that may not be energy savings related that they need to address from a deferred maintenance standpoint, for example, 
and they fold that under a KPI or key performance indicator process. Uh, I see more of that starting to happen, especially in the higher ed space, and it's a derivative to some degree of the Ohio State um, University of Iowa process. So that's one thing I, I, I see um, uh, coming up here in the future. Um, you know, there are, I, we mentioned COVID and it's a terrible situation, obviously, for the, uh, for the nation with uh, COVID and all the different things that, that happened there. But there are um, opportunities that are emerging due to COVID around the indoor air quality that weren't necessarily talked about um, a year ago. I don't know that too many people were talking about indoor air quality, except for potentially in lab spaces um, as an example. So I think there's going to be more to, uh, to think about in terms of um, uh, indoor air quality and, and, and the like. From a financing standpoint, as I look into the future, you know, right now today, Jim, capital is plentiful and it's cheap. <laughs> so there is, a, there is no shortage of capital uh, within any of the markets, uh, quite frankly. Um, I think what is interesting, however, is that the, the models are getting more complex, potentially, at least a little bit more complex, where the same tax-exempt lease purchase is not the model that will fit in every case with every customer on the public sector side, but rather there is an energy as a service type of model that is contemplated. Um, these get a bit more complex. Um, I'd say the future is going to be more complexity and um, more holistic view of a customer. So when I'm doing a campus, I'm doing fence to fence, the whole campus, not just a piecemeal approach. That's where I think the industry is heading. And as a result, I think the industry players need to uh, be prepared for that. It's not only technical, but it becomes more of a financial sale as well. So when you're out in front of the customer, just as an example, I would encourage all of the ESCO players to think about how they position themselves, not just from a technical standpoint or from a business standpoint, their company positioning, but also what questions and how you position things from a financial standpoint uh, will emerge as a much more important part of the, uh, the sales process than I think it has been certainly in the past. Yeah, you're hitting on a couple of common threads here that we've heard so far in, in the podcast with uh, indoor air quality. I mean, I can't scroll through LinkedIn for more than five seconds without seeing IAQ somewhere in a post, right? So we're seeing that more and more. And then, yeah, the energy is the service. I mean, it's uh, it's becoming, I know it's been going on for a while, but uh, it seems like it's really picking up some steam, picking up some momentum here, especially uh, going into 21. So really good stuff there, Bob. I appreciate your insight. And what I wanted to do here was transition to the last part of the show. Uh, the same four questions that I asked to every guest who comes on the Building Efficiency Podcast. I wanted to start off here, Bob, and ask you, what are your daily non-negotiables? You know, it's interesting. When, when I saw that from you, Jim, I, I was thinking non-negotiables. Hmm, what does that mean? Um, and I had to actually think about this a, a little bit, about what I, I have as my non-negotiables, because some of them have become so programmed into what I do on my daily routine, I don't even think about them anymore. And I'll give you an example is 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 my eating habits. So eat healthy. And you have to make the decision at some level, if you go out to dinner with me or lunch with me, for example, and I get a, a whatever the, the meal is and it comes with fries, I'll ask to substitute fries for the vegetable of the day. So I always eat broccoli or um, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, whatever it is. And I substitute that every single time. It's non-negotiable. Um, I eat blueberries and, and uh, almonds at least six times a week. So I have reprogrammed myself from an eating habit standpoint to not eat junk food, but rather to eat healthy food. And it's, it's hard to do, especially at first when you have to reprogram yourself. 
Another example is I drink 10 ounces of orange juice every single day. So there's not a day that goes by that I don't drink orange juice. So there's um, some things that are non-negotiable from that standpoint. Um, I'd also um, like to point out that on my calendar, so if you look at my Outlook calendar right now, I have a daily appointment at 5.30 every single day. It's my time and I can use it as I see fit. Nobody can put an appointment on top of it, but I use that time for exercise. So I have a gym in the basement here that I use for exercise purposes. I also use it for um, reflection and thought, planning. It, it provides a set aside time. Some people do it in the morning. I happen to do it in the afternoon, but I find it's extraordinarily valuable to, to have that time to be able to set aside. I would encourage everyone that's listening to this to do the same type of thing and, and put that up. If we scroll back just a little bit in terms of you know the bigger picture, you know, I, trust and honesty are, are big things for me and they're non-negotiable. So when I'm dealing with somebody and they're dealing with me, I expect the, the, the same trust and honesty to be a two-way street between, uh, between both of us. And then lastly is, you know, if you're going to do anything, have a plan and execute it. To me, that's non-negotiable. You, you can't just go willy-nilly into the marketplace and, and expect to have results. You really have to have some type of plan that makes sense and set yourself apart. If you don't, then it, it won't work. I don't want to downplay any of the other guests daily done negotiables, but I think those may have been the best I've heard so far. So uh, I think that was really, that was really good stuff. So I wanted to move on here. So let's rewind the clock. You're graduating from University of Maryland. What advice would you give to your 22 year old self? Well, I think we already mentioned it, Jim, uh, buy as much Microsoft and Apple stock as you can possibly afford at that point and hold it forever. There you go. go. Uh, If you were going to do one thing, so if you're a 20 year old graduating now, that's one of the things you should do is set aside some money um, in growth stocks that you think is going to change the world. The world will become more electrified through vehicles, transportation. Think of all the things that are going on in the renewable energy space. All those things, they're not going away. That will be here for a long, long time. So um, do those investments wisely. And think about your career, too, where you're going. Um, I'd have to say in my world, I may have been recruited into places that I didn't expect to have that recruiting process take place and to go there, but they ended up being very good things for me personally and professionally. Someone coming out of school may want to have a more deliberate approach to their career path and plan that out. What do they want to do and how they want to do it? There's some really good books on that, by the way, that folks can read that are out there that that help you plan your your future. All right. I think this is... um a topic that you've already been been covering here throughout the show, but what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? For those that know me, I, I like new things. I like to have new ideas. And that really um, motivates me from, hey, what's the new thing that's going to come up today that we can talk about? Whether it be an energy service deal or RNG, renewable natural gas. From a story standpoint, Back when we were trained, we were doing a project at Dam Neck, and we were looking at a satellite image, and there was a straight line running through the base to the Atlantic Ocean. So somebody asked a very innocent question, what's that line? Well, it turned out to be the um, 66-inch effluent line from the Hampton Road Sanitary District. Well, what if we use that as a heat exchange? That's a great idea. I know nothing about uh, engineering, but it was exciting to be in those discussions about how you got that done, and it ended up being a presidential award project. So those things are what motivate me. I love that kind of kind of stuff, even for an old guy like me. Oh, good, good stuff. And uh, last question here: What do you want your lasting legacy to be? 
Well, as I look back on my career, um, I mentioned it before, Jim, but um, building lasting teams um, that are that can um, survive not the person or even the industry, but the decades of, of opportunities that come across them. Um, the other is client relationships, that there are some deep client relationships that are embedded that you know, we've become friends over time, um, that you can't break that bond. I'd also like to say that in, in from an individual standpoint, I've helped direct several people in their careers and they've succeeded uh, wildly. So I'm, I'm very proud of that from a legacy standpoint. And then finally, you know, from an industry perspective, there's a lot more to do. So I'm, I'm very uh, happy and pleased to be part of NASCO as well as the Alliance Save Energy and try to move the industry forward. So um, the legacy that you leave behind becomes teams, people, processes, and then the, uh, the industry itself. So if, if I can accomplish all that, I think, um, I think it would be time to move to Florida and then uh, have a sip of something cold in the palm tree. Well, you should just do that now. You should just do that now anyway. No, why, why wait? Well, Bob, I appreciate the time. I think that's a perfect way to, to wrap up the show here. So thanks for coming on the Building Efficiency Podcast. Jim, thanks a lot. I appreciate it for everybody out there. Um, have a great 2021. All right. All right, there you have it. Episode 36 with Bob Johnson. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. We hope that you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues as well. And one last thing, if you have any ideas for your future guests from the industry, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.